just a good time to join together and worship, thank the music team for their work, for their talents, for sharing their talents with us. Um, I think it was a good idea about pesky, but I'm a little hesitant because my, my mom beat that out of me when I was little. <laughs> and so I've been kind of scared to go back there. But uh, I think it's a good idea to, to get together, ask somebody, do some things together. Uh, let's pray before we look into God's word. Lord, we just thank you for just our time together. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all the good people and the good-hearted people in this church that are willing to help, willing to care for each other. Uh, we pray that you would give us even more insight into your word as we look into it, and that we would be shaped by your Holy Spirit through your word. So, Lord, we just pray for this time in our service. In Jesus' name, amen. How important is it to be a part of a church? Now, the reason I ask that is because many in our society who claim to be Christians will also say they just don't like church. I'm a Christian, I just don't like to go to church. Or they don't think it's important to go to church. Or to be a part of a church, to have a church family. Now some will say that they've been hurt by the church. And I know that people do get hurt by people in church. Some maybe have encountered, you know, very bad, horrible behavior by a prominent church member or church leader. And some may point back to a specific time when uh, there was just this awful thing that was done. Maybe even sexual abuse or something like that that happens from time to time. Some may point back to a church split and say, what's it for? But all those scenarios may lead us back to our first question. How important is it to be a part of a church, a church family? Is it important? Is it very important? Is it crucially important? <clears throat> Is it important just until something goes wrong? Then we just kind of reconsider whether it's important or not. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, we saw the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for the church. We know that the church is the bride of Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, as it is his body. Jesus trained 12 disciples for three years to, with him, be the foundation of the church. <clears throat> the Bible says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. So he is the very foundation of our church. 
And we, as the church, <clears throat> are his body on earth. We represent him. And that seems to give the church a bit of importance, doesn't it? Then we saw the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles. <clears throat> excuse me. And they preached the great news of God's salvation to thousands and thousands of the Jews who were coming in from all over that part of the world, from different countries. And thousands of people on that day became followers of Christ. And that was all a plan of God that worked its way through the centuries, and then all of a sudden, boom, here was the church, the body of Christ. And people were getting healed. And people were coming to the Lord. And miracles were taking place. It was an amazing time, the birth of Christ's church. But not everyone was happy with this thing called the church. Even though it was an amazing work of God. The religious authorities of the Jews, they didn't like all of this joy going on. This excitement, these healings. Peter and John got thrown into prison. They had to go before the Jewish religious leaders. They were told at that meeting that they had to quit preaching the message of salvation in Jesus. Peter and John said, no can do. We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John were released <clears throat> And the reason they didn't beat them at that time was because all the people had seen the healing that had taken place and they were all for them, so they knew they couldn't do that and go out alive. But Peter and John were released. They went back to the believers. They reported what happened. They prayed together. The place where they were shaken, where they were praying was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went back out and spread the gospel some more. Now, isn't that an example of a church that's following Christ? <clears throat> and now Luke, the writer of Acts, gives a little progress report about the young church. Throughout the book of Acts, we'll find progress reports from Luke. And in, we're looking at the last few verses of chapter 4, then we're going to go into chapter 5. <clears throat> and this is kind of a, a summary progress report. He says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. <clears throat> Let's go back there. Now that is a church, isn't it? That's the early church. But now we're going to see something right after this. 
I mean, we have so much good going on there. People taking care of one another, people giving up for one another, people encouraging one another, people coming into the fold, to the flock. And so things are going so well. But now we're going to see a whole change in the atmosphere. And remember, God is orchestrating and doing all of this as he's commandeering his church. And this next step is going to be quite drastic, but it is part of God's work for his glory, for his church. So in chapter 5, in verses 1 through 11, it says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property, just like Barnabas did. And he got a lot of praise for his, right? With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And he's saying, you didn't have to sell it. You know, you weren't required to. And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have kept back as much as you wanted. <clears throat> What made you do, think of doing such a thing? And he's talking about saying that he gave it all, but they didn't. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. <clears throat> now, what a strange passage to put in there at the beginning of the church. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they saw how much... Uh, Barnabas was appreciating for get, selling his land and giving it to the whole group or giving the whole money to the group and they also wanted some recognition only they weren't being completely honest were they they wanted the praise under the guise that they did just what Barnabas did that they gave everything that they earned from it to the church and that they were just willing to sacrifice for the church but of course we saw that they kept some of the money and they conspired to do so. That was their plan from the beginning. Now, why did God take such drastic measures? This sin of not being totally truthful. Does the punishment to you seem a bit much for the infraction? Don't we hear of worse things taking place today in churches without people dropping dead? And aren't you glad 
We don't drop dead every time we do something. <clears throat> but you know, this was the beginning of the church, the very beginning of the church. This was the foundations. This is what the church was going to be built upon. Christ's body on earth. And everything from them was going to be built upon this foundation. And the last verse here says, Oh, yeah, it says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You know, the, the God's church was going to be made up of honesty and trustworthiness. And see, it says there that great fear seized the church, the whole church, and all who heard about these events. So it, it, it spread beyond the church to people who were kind of watching the church and seeing what would happen. Now, you know, a church is often the target of people who want to scam people because the church is made up of kind, uh, gentle people maybe, kind, helpful people, and they come in and they try to take advantage of that kindness and that Christian attitude, and they'll come in and just try to scam people in the churches. And that was, that was happening back in this day, and it happens today. So this says... Even those outside the church heard about it. And I think, I'm sure it stopped a lot of people from trying to come in and take advantage of the church if they thought that they might fall dead if they did something wrong. And you know, <clears throat> the church could have looked like easy takings over and over. Somebody coming in making false professions of faith and taking everybody for all they're worth. But this action got the church started on a very good foundation, an honest foundation. And it kept those with ulterior motives out for the beginning of the church. So this morning we've looked at a very positive progress report at the end of chapter 4, even after Peter and John had been thrown into prison. Even after that, Luke gives this really positive report and after they were out of prison, the believers were just gathered into serious prayer, sort of like getting their sights adjusted. They, they praised God for how he handled everything. They saw how God could take care of them. And then at the end of chapter 4, we see that great measure of love and care that the believers were expending toward each other. They were going to take care of each other. They cared about each other. They wanted each other to go on in the faith and and do things for God. And then chapter 5, we saw how God prevented things from going south, how he cleansed the church right at the beginning. It was drastic, but God probably saved the church from tons of trouble and kept a lot of people out that would have tried to take advantage of them and caused a lot of trouble in the church. Now, <clears throat> I want you to look at this next progress report, verses 12 through 16 in chapter 5, and see what Luke says here. He says, the, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. That's part of the temple complex. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. And that's going back to uh, you know, people falling dead. <clears throat> by, being, by lying and stuff. 
Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the scammers weren't coming in. They didn't dare. But people, even in now all that situation, people were coming to the Lord in true faith and they were being added to the number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, here again we have this glowing progress report from Luke. So many things, so many great things are happening in the church, and they're all caring for one another. And God is allowing them to do signs and wonders, and there's joy and excitement, and people are, are loving each other and helping each other. And phony believers knew they better not try to do anything, or who knows. Yet, true authentic believers were able to come in and become part of the, the, the church, the congregation. So you have healings, signs, and wonders, crowds gathering, bringing the sick. Their sick were healed. And just imagine how in that time, when the Jewish religious leaders were so corrupt, you know, they would just try to shut down anybody that disagreed with them, that didn't honor them and hold them up. They were so selfish and controlling and greedy. And just think, in all of that circumstance, people were coming in, finding the true God, finding the true faith, becoming part of the church, even with that control there. And that's how God is working things out, where people truly loved and cared for each other. And wouldn't that be such a breath of fresh air? And you know, our church, we can be that for others. We are that for others, aren't we? So on the one hand, you know, we don't want to be obnoxious and just kind of a <clears throat> needling people, you know, to get into church. On the other hand, you know, we can offer people true Christianity. And we can be like the early church, you know, as we care for each other, care for others, reach out to others. We can be that, even as this church was that way, even with the religious leaders you know, making such a horrible uh, face for religion. But now, having said that, we're about to see the other side of living out truth, faith, and love for God. Look at with me at verses 17 through 28. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Here it comes again. They arrested, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I kind of like that. <clears throat> when he calls the Christian faith this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin 
the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked. Now look at this. Everything was locked. The guards were standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. How would you like to have been a guard at that point? <clears throat> On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. <laughs> the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What we see here is God acting in certain ways under certain circumstances to accomplish his will at that time in a certain way. God allowed his apostles to be put in jail. Now, of course, when the apostles were put in jail, they had no idea how long they would be in jail. They didn't know if they would, you know, even die. May not even make it out alive. Who knew? We know that the Sadducees were evil. We know that they were willing to oppose the will of God. But God allowed them to incarcerate his people, the good guys. Wouldn't that make you wonder? God, why are you allowing the evil people to win? And the apostles were taken to prison. That's all they knew. They're in prison now. But then during the night, God springs them from prison. They are told to go back to the temple and tell the people about this new life. Now, does that seem like good strategy? Isn't that the place they kept getting in trouble? Well, you know, this is God telling them what to do, where to go, at what time. <clears throat> And God has his reasons, doesn't he? He had the angel of God tell them, go back and start teaching again. So they do it. And that's a commendation for them, that they're following the rules, even though human, humanly thinking, you think, that's the last place we want to go. And at daybreak, they go back to the temple, and they continue teaching. So here are people being taught about faith in Christ, while the officers are searching the jail for the prisoners. Kind of comical. The officers find the, the, the door securely locked, the jail locked, the guards standing at the doors, and they find no one inside. It says they were at a loss wondering what this might lead to. You know, God can make his enemies look pretty foolish, can't he? And then someone comes to tell them, hey, these prisoners are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Now, you know, 
as we're looking at this, we may wonder, why did God do it that way? I mean, would any of us have written the script that way? And you know, we could speculate as to why this way, not that way. Would it be better to do it some other way? How would we do it? And we may come up with good answers or our answers may be totally wrong. But you know what the truth is? That God always accomplishes what he sets out to do. It never fails. Even though sometimes evil people get the upper hand for a while, God's ways never fail. And so it's always better to do it God's way, isn't it? And the apostles, that's what they were doing. Even though some of those things didn't seem like, why would we go do that? We just got almost killed from that. But they did it. And you know, we are in a time period where people who profess faith in Christ, they walk away from God because they can't understand his ways. <clears throat> and I've heard them give testimonies. I've, I've seen it on videos where they'll say, they'll, they'll say something that they've seen and they say, how could God let that happen? Or something they've experienced. They say, how come God didn't do this and save me or help him? They can't understand his ways, and so they walk away. They know what he says for us to do, but they don't believe his ways are good or will work. But you know what? No matter what we are seeing, no matter how much suffering there is, no matter who gets trampled on, no matter what the circumstances are, God's ways will always work. But it's not always on our time schedule and not always the way we would do it. Probably mostly not the way we would do it. So they bring the apostles back in for questioning. <clears throat> and in their questioning, the high priest says, we gave you orders not to teach in his name. And then he says, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's death. Now, to me, that looks like a statement of victory by the enemy, the statement made by the enemy as the victory of the other side. He says, we told you not to teach in his name, and you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching. Score for the good team, right? The high priest says that by disobeying their command, they have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. And that was all orchestrated by God. So we may see something like opposition by the high priest as the ministry being stopped. But in God's wisdom, he used all of that to fill Jerusalem with the message of salvation in Christ. And just think of all the steps that he put them through to get there. And his steps made a better result than anything any of us humans could have thought of. So it's better to follow God's ways, isn't it? And now, look at verses 29 through 32. 
You know, they're being questioned about why they did what they were told not to do. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Peter never backs off, does he? I mean, the very things he's getting pounded for, he keeps saying them. God exalted him, Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and, and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. <clears throat> yeah, I'll stop there. You know, in this part, we have something that Christians have wrestled with over the centuries. We are told in the Bible to obey earthly authorities. And here Peter says we must obey God over man. So which is it? Do the apostles obey the earthly authorities? Well, you know, in this case, it was obvious because God told them through an angel. God told them directly. And there they, they obey the voice of God. So in this instance, there really isn't any question. God was telling them to disobey earthly authorities. But you know, in our cases, oftentimes it's not that clear, is it? When do we disobey earthly authorities? Because generally we're supposed to obey earthly authorities. <clears throat> so I guess the question is, when do you disobey human authorities in order to obey God? And I think even in this, some situations are much clearer than others. And I put this as a question for the life groups. I think it would be a very good discussion. You know, some easy ones are, if we were told to denounce God or curse God, we can't obey earthly authorities. If we were told to deny Jesus Christ, we can't obey earthly authorities. And then you could go from situation to situation to see. And I think if you cover that in your discussions, that'll be some good discussions. Now I'm going to read the rest of chapter 5. It's the response of the Jewish religious authorities to Peter. When Peter says they must obey God rather than man. So look at this 33 through 42. When the, when the uh, authorities heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. 
He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of, of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. <clears throat> so Gamaliel, he says, just give it time. If it's from God, it can't fail. If it isn't from God, it will fail. Just think of the courage of the apostles. I'm thinking we should remember this passage and these apostles who faced this opposition. These guys had drawn a line in the sand. First of all, it was an honor for them to be flogged for the case of Christ. Flogging was receiving lashes from a whip and then in the Jewish law, they couldn't do more than 40, so they would stop at 39. But often they would give 39 lashes, and it was a horrible, horrible, you know, penalty and, and beating. A flogging could be very severe. Luke is saying here that these apostles considered it an honor to be flogged or whipped for the name of Christ. Now just think if our faith could grow to that level of devotion. I think if we could somehow get to the mindset of considering it an honor to suffer in that way for Christ, I believe so many things in our lives would be totally settled. And we would find ourselves living on a whole different plane. A faith that would bring us tremendous peace. If we could get our minds set to say that it'd be worth being beaten for Christ. And not that we will be, but if we could just come to that point. You know, I had a Bible teacher at one time ask during a Bible study, what do you think of Gamaliel's answer here? If it's of God, it can't be stopped. If it isn't of God, it'll fall apart. And he was asking us, do you think that was a good way to, to just judge the situation? And, you know, we were thinking, yeah, because, you know, if it's of God, it won't fail. If it, if it isn't of God, it will. And this teacher said, no, that isn't how you determine right or wrong. You, you determine by looking in the scriptures. And if they would have looked in the scriptures, they would have seen that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And that would have given them the answer. <clears throat> now, I'm going to close with verse 42 again. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What an amazing beginning to the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for those who went before us and laid such a firm foundation. They were direct disciples of yours, Jesus, and they learned so much from you. And they became so dedicated and they built that firm foundation. And Lord, we are receiving the benefits from that even now, this many years later, of what they built, what you directed them to, how they followed you. And we pray that we could be disciples in this age and we could be just dedicated to you and looking into the scriptures and doing things that you want us to do, that you want your church to do, no matter what. And <clears throat> may we see people come to know you because of our faith and because finding out who you really are. We thank you for all that you have done for us and all that you give us in Jesus' name. Amen.